the Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world, and we look at it through the perspective of our Catholic values, our Catholic beliefs. Tom Dobbins is here with me. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Tom does a great job in lining up guests to make the hour interesting. So you don't just have to listen to me. You listen to people who have something to contribute. And I learn a lot during it. And I hope you learn a lot during our time together. You know, but even as we talk about the big issues, we do say just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And that will make our world more compassionate. It will make it more, more just. And Tom, we're in the Advent season. And, you know, I've changed a little bit of my feeling. I used to get a little bit more upset with the fact that, like, liturgically during Advent, we had to, um, you know, kind of put a lot of that aside in the world around us because Christmas began even before Advent. And I used to get upset because we didn't have time for Advent. And I know the liturgical people in the church really sometimes get really hyper about <laughs> Advent as the season. But I don't anymore. And here's why. Mm-hmm. One is because Advent is preparation for Christmas. Mm-hmm. So it's preparing to celebrate again the birth of Jesus. So, you know, you can't really separate Advent from Christmas. Because that's, I mean, Christmas is the reason that Advent is in a certain right. certain sense. So I get a little bit less upset about all that. Now, at the same time, I do think, you know, we should be a little bit more restrained and take the time to appreciate the scripture readings, particularly the prophet Isaiah, the anticipation, etc. And I do think sometimes the world around us kind of doesn't want to wait. So it's all kind of in our face. You know, the commercialization of Christmas. Yeah, I get that. And I maybe I'm not too appreciative of that. However, however, I kind of think and Tom, this is just kind of my little bit of of bizarre take on things. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So who's the most important human being ever, ever, ever? Who? Jesus. Right, exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So why shouldn't we make a big splash? Yeah. I why agree with you, Monsignor, you know? right? <laughs> I mean, so suppose nobody ever did anything. And it was the birth of Jesus? Well, I'd say, but they but it's the biggest thing of ever. Yeah, exactly. So, so I don't think that's so bad. And now I'm gonna get a little chiding and maybe a little preaching, okay? Well, if we allow it to only be commercial, if we only allow it to be about Santa Claus, well, whose problem is that? Is that the store owners? Is that the business's problem? Or is it our problem as Christians that we haven't manifest our faith enough so that we haven't infused the commercial stuff going on with Jesus? So I think we should look at ourselves if we think it's too commercial because we haven't done our part of infusing it with spirituality. So as they say, 
The problem, my dear friend, is not in the stars. The problem is in ourselves mm-hmm. that we exactly. haven't done uh, done what we need to do in order to make it. So I get a little bit less upset about the blending of Advent and Christmas. It's a call to us that we need to infuse the season with Jesus. And if we don't do that, then I think a little bit of shame on us for for not not doing that. So that's my little take on 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 Christmas. Huh? Tom, so when it, when do you do your Christmas shopping? Uh I I haven't begun yet, so I'm a little behind. Okay. Um but I'm going to probably start this weekend once here. I have to set aside like a few days cuz I like to mull over when I'm going to get somebody. I don't want to just go in and, you know, I don't like to do it you know, just to run into a store and just go. I like to give gifts that mean something to people. So I got to mull it over a little bit first. So uh, so I'm probably going to start this weekend. And then um, and then I'll start like, you know, I'll, I'll get people for people who I'll see before Christmas. And then I'll wait for the people I'll see on Christmas to buy closer to the day. Okay, <laughs> so, kind of my, so, here's the, so here's the new question. In store or online? In store. I'm an in-store guy because I like to go in, especially if it's things like clothes and stuff. I like to feel the fabric. I'm always okay. afraid if you order online, it, you're, it's going to come in and, uh, you know, I'm not going to like it. And then it becomes to me when you get the stuff online, then it becomes a problem because then it's like, OK, I got to get this back to the store. I got to return it. Whereas if you see it in the store and I know also I kind of like it kind of is almost like it gets you in the season of actually looking at stuff and hearing the music. And I kind of like the whole experience. (laughs) You're just an old fashioned guy. I'm an old fashioned guy. What can I say? Well, nothing wrong with that. Nothing (laughs) wrong with that. So let's go to our first guest. Um, Tonia Grady. She is the CEO and executive producer at Grady Girl Productions, Inc. The author, along with her daughter, Skyla, of a recently published book, Fatherless like me, growing up without a dad. Dad, um, Tonya Grady, thank you for being with us on Just Love. Hello, thank you for having me. How are you? I am great, and I'm better for speaking with you. Thanks for being with us. <laughs> I am glad to be here. So let me let me tell you, I got a little bit of a of kind of a fan club that I got to share with you. I read the book fatherless like me loved it i think it is just a great great book so oh my god thank you (laughs) so but i'm betting not all of our listeners have read the book so the title is fatherless like me growing up without a dad share with our listeners even though we're not on television we're on radio give our listeners a little bit of sense of the book Well, uh, I can tell the story very well. Pretty much, I did a a documentary film called Man Up, The Exploration of a Fatherless Nation. And uh, my daughter was kind of like the spark for that because she grew up without her father. And uh, it was kind of like an underground phenomenon. Everybody loved the film. And uh, I would always bring my daughter up on stage afterwards. So um, after going to so many cities and doing so many things, one night I came home and I said, you know, Skylar, we should write a book about our life. And she said, yeah, mommy, let's do it. And that's how the book came to be. 
you know, it's, it was really just, it's really just about our life with a little sprinkle of fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, whether it's real or not real, I think every life should have at least a dash of a sprinkle of a fairy tale in it. Yes, so do I. Uh, so, so what was, what's the name of the documentary film? The documentary film is called Man Up, The Exploration of a Fatherless Nation. And that came about because uh, I had Skylar and uh, her daughter, I mean, her father was not a part of her life. And uh, when we moved back to New York City, because uh, she was born in Atlanta, and we moved back, back home to New York City, so she was able to see more people and feel and touch people. So every time a man walked by, she would say, mommy, is that my dad? And I would just be like, oh my God. And I just didn't have the answers for her when she asked where her father was because I didn't know. And it bothered me so much that um, I said, I want to get answers. So that's why I called the film Man Up, the exploration of a fatherless nation because I wanted answers. And the film is, it's a, it's a wonderful film, powerful film. And um, it's it's very the the reason I think it was so powerful and so well received because it was the first time that people got to hear from the children themselves. They were able to articulate how they felt about their fathers not being in their lives. And you know, I know you got to watch the whole film, but can you articulate some of the feelings that? the that the children have that they do kind of talk about in the film well i could do better than that because this has been my life's passion okay <laughs> since i had skylar and you know she her, i mean she has a dad but he's not really in her life right. so pretty much i made this like my passion i'm my fork in the road i'm gonna help uplift fatherless children so it's not just the film and it's not the just the book, you know, fatherless like me growing up without dad. It's also me going out. I go into detention centers. I, I go speak at fatherhood organizations. They invite me in and um, I could really connect with them because I've had such a great experience seeing up close how hurt these children are. So I have kids who say to me, like, you know, I haven't ever met my dad do you think I will ever meet my dad they're asking me and I'm a stranger but right. what's so great about it is that the book and the film gave them an opportunity to say it because most of the times people don't approach that conversation with kids because they they would rather act or pretend as if it's not happening but these kids they with Skylar they were able to see somebody like themselves so that's why the book was great and I came up with the name Fatherless Like Me. That's where that comes from, Fatherless Like Me, growing up without dad. So when we would read the book, we would do, you know, book readings, and the children were automatically connected to her because they finally found somebody else who was like them, fatherless. And as you can see, the book is very happy. You right. know, I mean, it's sad too, but it's, it's telling kids that we know you're sad. It's okay. You got to have a little faith. But it allows them to talk about it. And I think for so long, people have been ignoring the children. We have to ask the question, are the children okay? And I say, no, they're not okay. okay. I'm speaking with Tanya <clears throat> Grady, the CEO, executive producer at Grady Girl Publications, Inc. 
She's done a documentary called Man Up, Exploration of a Fatherless Nation, and with her daughter Skyla, a recently published children's book, Fatherless Mike Me, Growing Up Without a Dad. Now, um, Tonya, I know you're a proud mom of Skyla, but I want the truth on this. I want you to tell me the truth on this. So how much of the book did you do and how much did Skyla do? Well, I, I will definitely tell you the truth because Skylar has been by my side since I had her. I was When I had her, I was a producer at CNN. And so she's always been business-minded because she's been privy to my life. Okay. So she's, um, you know, very astute. And I don't know if I told you that my baby is a scholar athlete. Like she's very smart. <laughs> Woo! Woo! So we, we actually have meetings. So when, when we decided to write the book, we would have meetings and I would tell her prior to the meetings, come with your ideas. Like, what do you want to write? And, you know, we would have these little meetings and that's how we got the, the content of what we wanted to put in the book. And she definitely writes. She's always been a writer. She loves to write. So she started writing her part. And what I did is I framed it, but it really is her talking about, you know, like how she feel like the part about, the um well that's me telling you when she used to um throw the pictures of her and her dad on her floor in the room and every time I would go in the room I would pick them up and I hadn't noticed that why does she keep doing it like I would just keep picking them up and then finally I, I it clicked for me she doesn't want to see the pictures of her and her dad because it was pictures of her as a baby with her father holding her and that was her signaling sending a signal to me that I'm not okay. So anyway, what I'm saying is that, so she was able to say, okay, I really want to see my dad. When am I going to see my dad? We would have talks at the table and the part in the book where we're sitting at the table and we're having dinner. Those are our real life. So that's Skylar talking. That's, that's her saying what's going on in her life. And she so, wants her father to be a part of it. So I know the book was just recently published. How but, old is Skylar now? Well, I have to say, this is this is the resurgence of the book. Okay. The book is actually, we put out the book um, over 10 years ago. Oh. And what happened is I would actually start just giving the book away because when we did the book, it did very well. A lot of people bought the book. We would do book signings. We had a lot of press. And over the years, it kind of like settled down like in the last maybe three or four years. So I just carry the books with me. And I actually, when I meet people that I like, I pass the books out. And in this last year, this year alone, it's had a resurgence and everybody wants the book. Um, Fortune Society, that company, they are buying books from me. And and that's the uh, reentry program for um, males who come out of jail. And think about it, the book, they love the book. Everybody loves the book. So it's the resurgence of the book. and. Um, for me to be here talking to you on a nationally syndicated radio program, my mind is blown because this book was done over 10 years ago. <laughs> and now the people that I'm handing it out to, that's how it got to you. I handed it to someone else. I gave it to someone at Catholic Charities and then they gave it to you. So yeah. it's like, it's growing again. <laughs> and have you noticed that th this book, everybody's doing these kind of character books now but the book was done over 10 years ago. So I think we were ahead of our time. 
Well, I'm glad you did it. So, so how old is Skylar now? Skylar is actually 19 now. Skylar is in college. She is in <laughs> Howard University. She's a sophomore. Ah, so yeah. she was she was like about nine or ten. Nine, yeah, when, when we the wrote, book yeah. was first out. Yes, and we were supposed to do Monsignor. We were supposed to do a three part series series with the book. But um, the book did so well, and we did a lot of book readings and signings that the kids were kind of like pulling on her emotionally because she would see them. They would hug her so tight and they would cry. And she got to the point to she told me, she said, Mommy, I, I don't want to do this no more right now. And I said, are you serious? And she said, yeah, it's too much. She said, it's bringing too much emotion to me. So we never completed the three-part series. But now she's 19 and just maybe a couple of months ago, we decided to start the second book. So the second book is going to be out in uh, January. Oh, that is great. That is, is it going to be kind of a continuation of the first one? or yes, it's it's, gonna be, So give us a little bit of a preview of what we can expect in the second book. Well, um, it's Skylar picking up from, you know, her when she gets that call that her father's coming for Christmas at the end of the book, I don't want to give it away for the people who, who okay. haven't read it yet, okay. but we continue right there where her okay. father comes for the Christmas um, holiday. And she's explaining how, you know, like she's seeing him for the first time because she was a baby before she was right. so young. She really couldn't remember all that. That's why the pictures were so emotional for her. But um, she's, she's basically communicating how he only shows up at her graduations okay so she she doesn't have a relationship with him but somehow because she's a a scholar and he was a Rhodes scholar he was a kennedy Rhodes scholar so she got her brains from her dad so whenever there was a graduation he would come to the graduation so that's when she would see him and that's what she's talking about so uh tony you also mentioned that she's a scholar athlete what's her sport basketball she Ooh. she played she played ball for bishop lachlan ah. in brooklyn yeah. yeah is she gonna play at howard no she decided not to uh play anymore but she played uh in um elementary school junior high school and high school okay all right that's uh so let me uh, if we go back to the title of the the documentary man up mm-hmm. um that kind of like implies a little bit of an imperative or a command. Am I reading too much into that? No, you are not. You are dead on because uh, I got a lot of flack for that. You know, um, I had a lot of fatherhood groups call me up and, you know, take me to task about how dare you name a film man up. And, you know, I did that because I'm a media professional, I'm I'm a television producer, I'm a filmmaker, and I know if you want to get somebody's attention, you better get them get it with the title. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And 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 it did just that. So every time people heard man up, they took it personally, like how dare you tell me to man up? But it it did what I needed it to do, which was start the conversation. So so Tanya, let me let me say make a little bit of a hypothesis and you correct me if I'm wrong or you say a lot more about it you know man up at least in the common things it says hey you better do what you're supposed to do um 
and exploration of fatherless nation, I guess, and this is me reading in, so correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's maybe not so good that kids grow up without a dad, that that's not a great thing. No, it's not a great thing. And that's why I want to call attention to it. But sometimes you have to do certain things to, you have to be clever on how you call attention to things. Because sometimes if you don't, if you don't grab them right away, they will never understand the message that you're trying to give to them. So I think I did that with the film, Man Up, The Exploration of a Fatherless Nation. It did that in the book, Fatherless Like Me. That alone stopped people in their tracks. And then it says growing up without dad. But the the part of the book that amazed me is because when we first did the book, Monsignor, we did it for children. But we found out very soon that children from four to 94, they love the book. People cry when they, when they open a book, they cry because nobody ever, it's like a sacred place where whatever happened to your father and whatever, however old you were when he left or he died, it, it kind of, you still that age at some point and the book kind of releases those emotions for people. Yeah. And so uh, we're speaking with um, Tonya Grady, the, uh, author, along with her daughter, Skylar, a fatherless like me, growing up without a dad. So uh, let me go a little bit further. And again, I, uh, this can be a little bit of a sensitive topic. And so it certainly seems to me that I have in our nation is just filled with millions upon millions of single moms who have done an incredible job with their children. Oftentimes, a lot of sacrifice, oftentimes at a lot of pain to themselves. But we have a nation of millions of incredible, heroic single moms who have doing, who have done and are doing a great job. And that just seems to me the fact. Now, having said that, and this is a little bit controversial, it does seem that if you look at some of the sociological literature and stuff like that, is that kids do very well, or maybe even a little better, when there are two parents around. And yet, but you said it's a fact, but it sometimes seems in the world we live in, we can't talk about that. We can't say that. Uh, Am I reading too much into the current environment? No, well, what I what I would say is that I don't think that kids are necessarily doing better with single moms. Single moms are doing a great job on their own. So shout out to all the single moms out there because I know how hard it is. And I just have one, but <laughs> I only have one child. Some people have multiple kids and I don't understand how they do it. So my hat, I tilt my hat to them. But um, what I think is that single moms have done such a great job to codify those, you know, fatherless children and do the best that they could do for them, that the kids kind of excel, like Skylar. She's excelling because I knew, okay, she doesn't have a dad. She's sad about that, but I have to try to make everything else around her so great that she can not dwell on the fact that her dad is not around. And I think that's what a lot of people should do 
but they don't do, they don't talk about it. I tell single moms when I go out to speak, because I speak to single mom groups, fatherhood groups, and I let them know, you have to talk to the kids. You cannot pretend that because they're doing great in school and everything that's going on, you can't pretend that they're okay. You have to ask them, are you okay? And you have to keep asking them. And not only that, you have to pay attention to them because see, when I told you Skylar was throwing the pictures of her father, her with her father um, on, the, on, on her floor in her room, if I hadn't picked up on that, I wouldn't have known that my child was having some difficulties with it. But I, I, it took me about five times, but eventually I got it. And I had to sit her down and have a talk and say, why are you throwing these pictures of you and your dad on the floor? And, you know, and she's like, cause I don't want to see them. And I put the pictures there because I thought, you know, I wanted her to know you have a dad, even though he doesn't come to visit, he doesn't call and you don't know him, you have a dad, but that was not beneficial for her. So as mothers, we have to be in tune. We have to pay attention. And that's what I go around and I speak about that because I think because mothers are doing such a great job, they're kind of overlaying the fact that there's not an undercurrent. There's an undercurrent there. Those kids feel it. They might not say it. They're doing well in school and they're doing well in athletics and all of that. But that pain, if you don't start to tap into it and get them to have a way to let that out, it, it it kind of festers and it becomes a problem later on in life or not even later on. Some of those kids that are in the detention center, I told you I go to the detention center and I read the books to the kids, but that's how they got there because they were carrying around pain. And then when you have pain, guess what you do? You go out and you cause pain because you want everybody to feel how you feel. Wow. So, okay. You've been generous with your time, but I'm going to ask you for two more things. One, if we want to watch your documentary, Man Up, The Exploration of a Fatherless Nation, how do our listeners do that? Well, we can we can figure out a way, Muncie, uh, okay. I'm sure. But let me just tell you this. I just did a reunion, a Man Up reunion, because I wanted to see where the kids were because they were the kids featured in the film. They're grown now and some of the people. So I kind of got most of the people together. and. Um, my my thing was to 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 really talk about how powerful this film was. This documentary, Man Up, changed the culture. People weren't even talking about Man Up prior to my film. So all of that to say, um, I'm actually going to do a Man Up too. <laughs> okay. And uh, we're going to figure out how we can show your listeners uh, Man Up because it's not out right now. I have to okay. Um, figure that out and, and put it out for them. Right. Tom, we'll figure, we'll figure that out. Now, how about the book? Can people buy the book? Yes. And please purchase the book. You can okay. purchase our book. We have an ebook now that is on Amazon. So you can go straight to Amazon and put in fatherless like me growing up without dad and the book will pop up. It's nine 99. Okay. So please, it's a great stocking. Well, it's, it's, it's a stocking stuffer because you don't have to put it in the actual stocking, but Kids will actually have it and then they can always just go back to it. So I kind of think it's almost better than the book. Okay. Now, in, get, in a way. And do you have a title for the one coming out in January yet? Yes, I do. Hold on. I want to just make sure. Um, it's just called uh, Fatherless Like Me, 
reunited with dad because that's when she reunites with her dad. So she talks about how she gets back in touch with her father. And the third book will continue that because, you know, it's all of this has transpired, but the books we we didn't write them, we put them on hold. So it's coming out. Now, um, again, you get that on Amazon? Amazon, go to Amazon, type in fatherless like me, growing up without dad, the book will pop up. And also for the people who want to purchase the soft copy of the book, all they could do, they could go to my uh, cash app, which is Grady Girl One, which is G-R-A-D-Y-G-I-R-L-1. And they send, basically the book is $15. So they send $15 plus $5 in shipping and handling. So $20 cash at me and put their address in and I'll ship the book to them. Wonderful. And Tom, we're going to post all of that on our on our Just Love page, right? Great. Yes, I'm so, I have a quick question for you. Okay, what, I hope I got a quick answer. <laughs> the, the reason that you got the book and it, it kind of made its way all the way up to you was because I thought it would be a great inclusion into the um, gift bags that you give the migrants. You give out a, a really great gift bag to the migrants that come in and that book, we're actually, when I get some money or hopefully somebody can help us with some money, I want to translate the book into different languages, but that's where the idea came from to put the book in the gift bag. So, cause all of those kids, they're sitting there while they're waiting for their moms, they could read that book. Well, we'll follow up and we'll see what we can do about that. And maybe we can even work together on getting, working with you on getting it translated. That would be excellent. I would love that. Great. I would love that. But I want to hear again how great the book is from you because that makes my heart warm. Oh, listen, as as soon as I I read it, I just said, this is just wonderful. It really, really, as you said, maybe it's a children's book, but it's also for big kids like me. It really was just such a wonderfully warm and genuine kind of laying out about how, how how a kid feels without having a father. And I think it just was a a wonderful laying that out. So would you do me a favor and you, you uh, thank Skylar for, (laughs) for me, for taking the time to work with her mom in getting the book out. I will Monsignor Sullivan. I will. And uh, she wanted me to say, hi, I wanted her to be on this interview with me, but she's still very shy, which you find out in the book. Also, she's very shy. Even now at 19, she's very shy. But well, um, listen, I, for, I will tell her. With a potential Rhodes Scholar, we want to make sure that she comes out of her shyness and shares her wisdom and her vibrancy with us. So maybe the next time she'll feel a little bit less shy. Yes, yes. And and yeah. the, the, the new book will be out uh, in uh, January 1st. But I want people to also, if they want to learn more about me, they can go to my website, which is uh, gradygirl.com. And they can also go to... Um, my television show, you know, I have a a couple of television shows. I'm a filmmaker. I have a film out. Let me tell you about my film. Do we have time? Sure. Tell us, tell us a little bit about your film. Okay. I have a new film. Well, um, that I did, uh, it's called for the love of digs. And, um, this is basically a film about a man who was my next door neighbor. And he was kind of like a savior to all of the kids in the neighborhood that we grew up in Brooklyn. This was around the time when the crack era was going on and a lot of people were on drugs and the kids were kind of fending for themselves. So this man in the community, he took it upon himself 
to make sure we were safe. He gave us activities. He started a basketball tournament. He he would take us, um, he gave us an after-school um, center to go to. And he really loved on us and he kept us safe. And he let us know that somebody was looking out for us. And this man did this for over 45 years and nobody said thank you to him. So myself, I knew he was getting up in age. I said, I wanted to be able to give him his flowers while he was alive. So the documentary is all of the kids who were young, who come back and they give the love back to him. You see that title again, For the Love of Diggs, because his name is Thomas Diggs. And I was able to do the documentary myself. It's 90 minutes long and it's beautiful. Maybe you can have a screening for me. Well, I, I we'll, mean, we'll, we'll, we'll follow up. We'll see what we can do. Listen, you've been generous with your time. Uh, and thank you so much. Tonya Grady, the executive producer of Grady Girl Productions. You'll find out all about her work and we'll post the information on our website. Thanks for being with us on Just Love. And Tom, I think we'll take a break now and we'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about the church in the world. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Last week on Just Love, we spoke about mental well-being. We're going to continue that because it's such an important topic, especially as we go into the holidays. 
And I'm delighted that we have as our next guest, Sarah Stroll, who is now the executive director of Droth Mental Health Services, which is one of our Catholic Charities affiliate in the Archdiocese of New York. It was begun by the Good Shepherd Sisters. And I'm delighted that uh, Sarah has kind of agreed to be with us on Just Love. Sarah Stroll, thank you for joining us on Just Love. Thank you for having me. So how are you doing? You doing okay? Pretty well, thank you. It's uh, getting colder out. So it is, getting, <laughs> it is getting colder out. Um, so let me um, give our listeners a little bit of a sense of you are a licensed clinical social worker, and now you're the executive director of Dross Mental Health Services. But give our listeners just a little bit of your background, kind of how you got in this direction and how this is something that you're kind of uh, giving your life and your career to. Absolutely. Um, so it's, it's funny. I think that, you know, Drost is kind of the culmination of a lot of different passions and interests I've had over the years. Um, I care very deeply about affordable, accessible, and inclusive therapy. And um, being the executive director at Drost really is the rare opportunity for me to be able to kind of harness my experience towards that, um, towards that mission. Um, I've always wanted to help people. Uh, I was educated as, at a Jesuit high school and a Jesuit university. So, you know, deeply embedded in my personal and professional identities. So Sarah, which, part of, of, which neck of the world did you grow up in? I grew up in Washington state okay. uh, in, in Spokane. So, so how'd you, how'd you wind up getting all the way from the Northwest Canadian border here to New York? How'd you wind up doing that? Great question. So I, I ended up going to university at Georgetown in DC. Um, okay. so another Jesuit school, again, very committed to this idea that we should be people for others and we should care for the whole person. And then um, ended up coming up to New York to do my uh, master's at Columbia and, um, you know, never looked back. I've stayed in New York ever since. Well, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a kind of a, now we can't let the people from Fordham overhear us. Um, because when I was going to graduate school, I didn't go to Fordham. I actually also went to Columbia. So we will, we're just, just between us here on the radio, we won't let the people from Fordham kind of get mad at us because we went to Columbia and not to Fordham. Right. I know my, my husband's a Fordham prep alum, so we have some representation there. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's, that that's good. So anyway, so then after you went to, um, you go, I assume you went to the social work school at Columbia. Yep. Uh, went to the social work school at Columbia. Yeah. I actually still teach at Columbia. Okay. Um, you know, I, I had a great experience and know how important it is to have mentors and folks that help you kind of learn how to how to help others um right. so still try to give back uh teaching at, at, at columbia's uh school of social work um but after i finished my master's i started um working in a very small outpatient clinic that was completely devoted to supporting um victims of uh childhood sex abuse and domestic violence and sexual assault and um it was certified in trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy um, 
that transitioned into a job at the New York District Attorney's Office, again, working in their special victims unit. Um, and, you know, really that kind of helped me develop an expertise in trauma. Um, but what I saw was a critical gap in people's ability to really access therapy. Um, there's a lot of services out there that are short-term. There's a lot of crisis support available for folks who are, are going through traumatic experiences, but finding someone that you can work with long-term that can support you through all the ups and downs and curves that the healing journey can take is really hard, especially when you don't have resources. Um, so Drost, I think, has this really beautiful mission of you know, trying to fill that gap um, and, and really working towards a, a world where um, anyone can have access to quality mental health care, no matter their financial means. So, Sarah, I know that you've been at Dross for, you know, not not a long period of time, but maybe about a year or so, something like like that. So how's it going? And tell our listeners a little bit about your vision for what you'd like to see uh, Dross Dross do and be? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I've been at Dross for actually, it'll, it'll be a year next month. Okay. I don't know where the, where the time has gone. It's flown by. And, um, you know, in the past year, we've done a couple of things to, um, you know, kind of propel us forward in our, in our vision of reaching as many people as possible with um, affordable and accessible therapy. We have gone through a name change and we rebranded our website to try to make it a little bit more welcoming. And um, we've added some FAQs. I, I know for me, when, when I personally was looking for a therapist, sometimes it's hard to know where to start. What questions do you ask? Who do you look for? How do you make sense of the alphabet soup of you know, people's licensures and what they specialize in? Um, so we've added some, some FAQs to help guide folks in that process. Um, we've revamped our, you know, Instagram and Facebook presence to give tips on, you know, dealing with the winter blues and managing family dynamics of the holidays. And uh, what we hope is really kind of um, uh, uh, content that is relatable and that is accessible and is really, quite frankly, helpful to folks. Um, and then, you know, something that I'm really proud of uh, actually was through the support of Catholic Charities. Um, we have been able to partner with seven schools throughout the New York area to provide free therapy to parents and students and teachers who are struggling. And we've seen an unprecedented uh, number of folks reach out for services. Um, and that really goes to show that money is a huge barrier for accessing therapy. So the more that we can really try to, um, uh, you know, make sure that mental health isn't a luxury, um, I think that, you know, we're doing, we're doing good work. So Sarah, um, one of the things that I think is, is kind of commonly um, accepted, unfortunately, is that, you know, there still is a certain stigma attached with you know, mental health services. And to give maybe a very simple example, you know, if I break my arm, there's no stigma attached with me going to the hospital in a cast, do whatever I need to do. But on the other hand, if I am clinically depressed, well, just get over it. You know, what are you worried about? Yeah, a lot of problems in the world, but get over it. There is a little bit of a stigma. There's a lot of stigma, maybe like, 
well, why can't you figure it out on your own? Why you got to go talk to speak to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, so accessing therapy is, is still unfortunately pretty stigmatized. Um, and we, I think most of us have experienced a time in our life where we needed a little bit of support. Um, and so, you know, what I, I try to tell folks is that, you know, therapy exists on a spectrum. There are some folks that struggle with, um, with uh, mental health issues that, um, that, that do have a biological component and they are gonna need a different sort of support than someone who is struggling through, you know, a, just a difficult period in their life. Um, but both of those people deserve the same level of help and support and quality services. And so, you know, I guess what I would tell folks is if, is if you are nervous about reaching out, um, you know, those of us who are mental health professionals know the courage it takes to ask for help. And we're here. We want to make this process welcoming and not scary. And, um, you know, I think that we are seeing some good progress being made in, in terms of how therapy is talked about in our media, in conversations where, you know, folks are realizing that, that it doesn't need to be something to be ashamed of. That, again, the most important thing is that um, we support one another and that we get the support we need to live our lives in the most fulfilled and healthy ways we possibly can. Uh, I think that's especially true in the holidays when um, it can get really tough. We're speaking with Sarah Stroll, who is the executive director of Dross Mental Health Services. Um, so let me let me continue a little bit with that. I understand the issue of of stigma, etc. Um, but let me let me ask you another another question, which you know, again, it's it's a little bit of a softball question, but you know, but but this stuff doesn't do any good, does it? I mean, you know, people come, they talk to somebody, they lay on a couch, they talk to people, and they just keep talking, and they never get any, nothing ever changes. It's just so why bother doing it? What Go ahead. Yeah, that's something that I do hear a lot, right? right? And quite frankly, a lot of folks who come to therapy, most people are not completely convinced that it's going to work. Right. They, you know, are willing to give it a shot. They're either at, you know, their last rope or their partner has said, look, you got to do this or else. Um, and, you know, I think that, uh, you know, for me, I believe deeply in our mission of providing therapy because I've seen how it can transform lives, even folks that are really skeptical. So, so let me stop you right there. And again, respecting confidentiality. Can you give our listeners just a story without not without breaking confidentiality of somebody they might relate to or a, a particular situation in which voila, success. Sure. Um, so it's rarely, unfortunately, it rarely looks like voila success, but I will um, talk very briefly about uh, one, one person that um, I worked with recently who, who has stayed with me um, in a big way. Um, someone who, uh, a teenager, and she was um, really struggling with feeling like she wasn't good enough, um, that she she had gotten into college. Um, she felt like, oh, I don't necessarily deserve to go to this school. Um, I don't know if I can make it. A lot of imposter syndrome. She's a first-generation college student and was struggling with the idea of leaving her family for the first time. 
And, um, you know, in, in the course of our work together, a lot of what we did was to look at um, what feelings are coming up for you. I think a lot of times folks feel like um, feelings are this big, scary thing that are bad, right? We're not supposed to feel angry. We're not supposed to feel sad. And one of the biggest transformative um, aspects of therapy, I think, is, is recalibrating that to understanding that our emotions are information um, and nothing more, nothing less. And if we can notice in our bodies how we're feeling and be curious about what's going on for us, that can help point us in the direction of, hmm, I wonder what thoughts are going through my head that are connected to this feeling. Can I look and see, you know, what what my body is trying to tell me, how I might be feeling about a certain situation. And once we can do that, then we can really evaluate, hmm, where did I learn these thoughts or beliefs? Are they accurate? Are they helpful to my life? Um, so in, for this particular girl, we um, examined that idea of I'm not good enough. Um, what if I fail? Um, what, you know, what if I don't make any friends? What if nobody else looks like me at college? Um, and really kind of dug into, so what if that happened? What would you do? Um, and helping her to not only develop a concrete plan um, to encourage her own sense of agency and her ability to handle problems as they come up, but also looking at these, these thought patterns of I'm not good enough or you know, there must be something wrong with me that had developed over the course of her life, quite frankly, living as a person of color in a society that um, is racist and has told her that she isn't good enough. Um, and so I think that that's a, a small example of how therapy really can, uh, you know, not avoid, but dig into some of those feelings and thoughts to, to help someone kind of harness their own power moving forward. Uh, Sarah Stroll, the executive director of Dross Mental Health Services. Thank you so much for the time you spent and thank you for uh, the work you're doing. And I, I, I hope that you'll come back again on Just Love and we can explore some other topics. I'm delighted that you talked about the success of some of the opportunities with regard to the schools you're working with the students and the parents there. And I just hope we're going to be able to explore more of those type of opportunities in the future, because I think your leadership at Dross is just wonderful. Your perspective is wonderful. And we just have to figure out how we can work with that to build on it. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us. Sarah Stroll, Executive Director of Dross Mental Health Services. We'll take a break, Tom. Uh, just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Now, let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Just love, just do it. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. You know, I talked at the beginning a little bit about how Advent folds into Christmas and it doesn't upset me too much. But let me talk for a minute about the value of Advent and the value of preparing, of waiting, being open and not jumping the gun. In other words, It's good to be in abeyance for a little while, expectation, being open to what we have to look forward to. And whenever we do Advent, it's always a little bit, um, not artificial, but the time stuff is a little bit difficult because we say we're looking forward to the birth of Jesus. Well, not really. We're looking forward to the anniversary of the birth of Jesus, because it was born 2,000 years ago. and But we also know in Advent, we talk about waiting for Jesus to come again. So we talk about Jesus coming again. So that is an expectation and a waiting too. So I do think the anticipation, the expectation, we shouldn't let that go in Advent, because Waiting is is a good thing. It does kind of prepare us a little bit for what is going on. And so I do think paying attention to the readings from Isaiah in particular, anticipation about the wonderful things that the Messiah will bring, God's kingdom will bring, makes our celebration of Christmas even deeper if we take that, you know, very seriously those readings. And I do think Isaiah is a critical part of the Advent season. John the Baptist, in another way, predicting, pointing out Jesus, preaching, the kingdom is at hand, pointing out that even though he is announcing the kingdom of his hand, he is not the one himself, but the one is his cousin, Jesus, and being willing to point out Jesus is the one for whom everybody is waiting. And then and now, we wait for Jesus. We wait for Jesus ultimately at the end, but we wait for him anew in our lives each day, and we await the celebration of that great feast of Christmas, mocking the anniversary of when the Word became flesh, that the Father sent the Son who took upon us his humanity. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be just and it will be more compassionate. Join us again next week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.